This week's episode of the Rural Woman Podcast is brought to you by the patrons of the Rural Woman Podcast. This amazing group of individuals contribute financially to the Rural Woman Podcast to ensure the stories of women in agriculture hit your earbuds each and every week. Want to join them in supporting the stories of women in agriculture while getting access to extended episodes, patron-only episodes, and other great perks? Head on over to wildrosefarmer.com to learn more about how you can become a patron through Patreon. Hi, I'm Caitlin Dubin, and this is the Rural Woman Podcast. I'm a first-generation farmer who married into agriculture. Born and raised in a city, I was so unfamiliar with where my food came from, but I was determined to figure it out. Through my journey into agriculture, I saw women who were strong but humble, often taking a back seat. To me, these women were leaders who deserved a seat at the table. I created the Rural Woman Podcast to share the voices of women in an industry whose stories often went untold. The rural entrepreneurs who live and breathe their work, full of grit and pride. We come here to share our stories, to be in community with each other, to be challenged and inspired, but most importantly, to be celebrated and to be heard. We may not all live, farm, ranch, or homestead the same, but we are all connected. We are rural women, and our stories are worthy of being told. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Rural Woman Podcast. Today, you'll meet Noelle Cole. Noelle co-manages a small grain crop farm in Idaho with her husband, in-laws, and two sons, where she actively engages in the day-to-day operations. As a crop insurance agent, she passionately connects with the agricultural community, leveraging her love of data collection to experiment and enhance the farm's success. I'm very excited for you to get to meet my friend Noelle. She is a light for me on social media and I love connecting with her and I'm sure you will love her story as well. Before we get to today's interview, it is getting to that time of year where I hit the road and get to come and meet all of the amazing folks in agriculture through all of the different conferences that I get to speak at and host. So if you're wondering where I'll be heading, you can head over to the link in my Instagram bio and see all of the events and register to connect with me either in person or online. I would love to see your happy face at an upcoming event. Without further ado, my friends, let's get to this week's episode with Noelle. Noelle, welcome to the Rural Woman Podcast. How are you today? I'm doing really well. Thank you for having me. It's such an honor to be on here. I'm excited to chat with you. And like I try to tell everybody before I hit record, it's just two girlfriends having a cup of coffee, just chatting about your life. So don't be nervous. (laughs) The nerves are still there. I'm not going to lie. It's a little bit out of my comfort zone, but it's good. It's good to do things out of our comfort zone every once in a while. This is true. This is very true. And I'm glad you're doing it with me here today. So (laughs) for the listeners who are unfamiliar with you, 
tell us who you are, where you're from, and how you got your start in agriculture. So I am Noelle. I reside in Southeast Idaho in the high country. I come from a ranching family. So as a young girl, I rode horses and moved cows. And I don't know, when I was around maybe eight or nine, my parents decided kind of to get out of ranching. So we left that lifestyle. And fast forward a little bit, I ended up marrying a fourth generation farmer. And we went off to school. And the farm kind of kept pulling him back. And it kept pulling me back as well. And we ended up coming back to his family operation. However, there wasn't really enough ground, I guess you could put it that way, to support two families. So we we kind of branched out and started our own little operation. And he would work for his parents in exchange for equipment. And we just kind of made it work for a little while. And eventually we were able to grow our operation through purchasing a small amount of land. And then we've picked up some leases. And eventually it got too complicated to where we were, you know, having a load of fertilizer come in and his parents were having a load of fertilizer and trying to separate everything out and knowing whose is whose and who's paying for this. And it just became too much. So we formed a partnership together. So now it's my husband, myself, and my mother-in-law and father-in-law. And then we have two young sons that tag along with us. Our main crops are hard red spring wheat, malt barley, and we have a few oil seed rotations as well. So you came from a ranching background to now a grain operation. That's a big difference for those who have not done that. Or even for me, I'm just thinking, again, not coming from a farming background at all, going into a grain operation, there are so many moving pieces to that operation. So tell me what that transition was like for you. Well, I slowly transitioned into it. I guess I wasn't like, I started out and I would just ride around in the equipment with my husband. So if he was in the combine, I would go and ride in the combine with him. And during that time, I was trying to finish up my schooling, my college degree. So I, you know, I remember sitting in the buddy seat and I would be studying for exams and just hanging out with him during the day. And then I was out there so much that then it was like, hey, do you think that you could drive this 10 wheeler into town? And I just kind of was like, okay, I get, you know, and it just kind of, I just gradually started doing more and more. And the more time I spent out there, the more I loved it and realized that that's where I wanted to be. And how do we make this work so that our family can be here? And you're right, ranching, there's ranchers and there's farmers. (laughs) And some do both, but Really, like in our area, you're either a farmer or you're a rancher. Right. Right now, I would I I kind of always have wanted to get like cattle and start like a small like 
you know, cow-calf operation, but my husband always says that he wears a lot of hats, but a cowboy hat isn't one. And after the winter that we had last year, I kind of had PTSD and I just feeding animals and having all the facilities that go into caring for animals. We just don't have that. So I don't, I don't know if there will be cattle in our future, but. Right. My husband is very much the same. They, they had cattle in the operation for many, many years. And then when they didn't, it was kind of like, oh, I don't have to feed cows when it's 30 below. And <laughs> Yeah, it's a lot. Yeah. Our, our growing season might be short, but uh, for those ranchers, they got to work through all of those seasons. And I have a lot of respect for them because I am definitely a fair weathered farmer. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So you had mentioned that your husband is a fourth generation farmer. So do you know a little bit of the background and the history of the farm that he grew up on? I do. So uh, Cody's grandpa on his mother's side is the one who originally started the farm and when he passed away Cody's mother decided that she still wanted to continue farming and with the help of her husband they kind of started out small and my father-in-law always had a a full-time job through all of it but they just kind of made it work and they they kept their portion of the family farm alive and well. And then she also had brothers, which would be Cody's uncles, that kind of farmed alongside of them through through it as well. Does that is that clear as mud? Absolutely. Yeah. Well, there's just so many moving parts when it comes to family farming, right? And, you know, within the generations, everybody kind of has their own role and they grow into roles. And I want to talk more about how you grew into your role on the farm. Like you said, you started in the buddy seat, like many, many do. So tell us more about, you know, moving to being more of one of those moving pieces on the operation. Yeah, so... I don't know. I, I Like I said, just I wanted to be out here. So I just was out here. Like whatever was happening at the farm, I wanted to know about it. I wanted to be involved. So, I mean, I didn't really wait for an invitation. I just would show up and then I wouldn't leave and <laughs> just spend the day riding around in the buddy seat, learning, you know, asking questions, watching, observing, and you know, if there's an abled body, I think you're probably familiar with this. You sometimes just get thrown into things. And I guess I was just always willing to try. And eventually I started running equipment. I think the first task that I had behind the wheel of a tractor was harrowing with a 60 foot harrow which is very wide and it had GPS auto steer. So it would, it would hold a line for me, but making the turns with that big of a harrow behind me, it was hard to get it turned at the right time and lined up so that I could engage the GPS, you know, because you have to be so close to that line for it to to engage and take you down the right path. And if you don't make it, then you're 
just kind of SOL. You have to steer it all the way back down and reset. And it, yeah, I remember, I remember that day very well. And other time I was driving that, pulling that harrow. This is kind of a funny story. I had our son in a baby carry or strapped to me. And I had just went out to the field to, I think, drop off lunch or something. And my husband was like, I've got to run back down to the shop for something. Can you just, you know, keep going and then I'll come back and you can get off. And I'm like, oh yeah, it's fine. Well, you know, I had the baby strapped to me and I I was going along and there was a rock pile coming up and I didn't want to disengage from the GPS because I didn't want to mess up my line. I was like, oh, I think I can make it around that rock pile. I don't think, I think I'll just barely skirt. I don't think I'll have to disengage. Well, no, I was, I, <laughs> I pulled up and I ran the Harrow tire up over a big rock on this rock pile. And I just sat there. I stopped the tractor. You can't back up with a Harrow. So I just stopped there and I waited for my husband to come back up. And I just said, I don't know what you want me to do. Do you want to wing it up? And you know what he did? He got in and he drove really, really slow. And he just kept going right over that rock and it was fine. But I didn't have the know-how or like, I was just too afraid to try to do that, that I was going to mess something up. So I just, I stopped him. So yeah, the Harrow and I, we go way back. <laughs> old pals, you and the old Harrow. <laughs> yeah. Honestly though, and you know, Noel, I have so much respect for you for trying to do these things because it's intimidating. And I don't care, you know, if it's your first rodeo or it's your 10th rodeo when you're pulling this equipment or when you're operating this equipment. And for me, it's like this equipment and, you know, the value of these things. And I don't know how to fix it if I break it and all of those things. Those are all of the anxieties in my head. And I think there's a lot of women who experience those exact same anxieties as we do, but they don't go and just try it. And I think that's probably my number one piece of advice that I've always ever given anyone who's reached out to me is like, how, how did you start doing this? Like, why did you start operating equipment and doing it? Like, I, I wasn't going to, it wasn't going to be my plan to operate equipment on the farm, but I tried it and I liked it. So I was like, I want to learn how to do more. And eventually you learn to do more and you get the hang of the turn of the 60 foot implement behind you or whatever it is, right? Like it eventually gets easier. And for me, for the last two years during harvest, I have the most combine operating hours for the last two years of harvest. And it's funny to me now because I'm just like, oh, I was terrified. I would have never done it, but I have to break it to you. Combining is the easiest job during harvest. And that's why everyone wants to do it. So if they tell you it's too hard, they're lying to you. <laughs> uh, yeah, I know. That's everyone wants to be the combine operator. And I tell them, well, on our operation, you had to start out as the rock picker and work your way up. And I did too. <laughs> that's just how it goes. So you can't just swoop in and expect to run the combine. But. Right? Yeah. It's, uh, it doesn't work that way on many an operation. So you had mentioned a little bit about your awful, never-ending winter of last year. And I remember seeing that online. What for you guys, because 
you are at a different elevation, I guess we could probably start there. Talk to us more about where you're located and the elevation and the challenges that you guys face when it comes to that. Oh, I am not certain on the specific geographical descriptions. Uh, forgive me, but I think we're like in a a basin and a range. So we have large mountain ranges all around us. And then we're kind of in the basin areas where we farm. But our elevation, our main farm starts just under 6,000 feet. And so we actually have some fields that are above 6,000 elevation, which is, is pretty high. And I do have PTSD from last winter. It was never ending. We started getting snow in October. We had really, really like cold spurts. Like I'm talking like negative 40 with the wind chill and that's in Fahrenheit. And then the snow just kept coming. And we had snow on the ground up until I think like around May 13th is when we were actually able to like say, okay, the snow's melted out of our field. So it was a very long winter. And I don't know. I mean, I'm sure you're familiar. You move snow and you have everything cleaned up. And then the wind comes that night and just drifts it all back in. And then you're right back out there the next morning moving more snow. (laughs) So it was a full-time job just moving snow. I remember getting up on the roof of our house and shoveling off the roof, which that's the first time I've ever had to do that. But it was getting, it, it like we had people with collapsed buildings around us just because of the weight. And so, yeah, it was, it was a winter for the history books for sure. So you had said it was not until about the middle of May that you were able to get into the fields. What is your typical year? When can you usually get in the field? Usually we're doing like field prep work, you know, the second to last week in April. And then typically all of our wheat acres are planted by May 15th. I think we started planting on the 13th because it was just like, okay, we're going to spread the fertilizer. We're just going to go, go, go. And that's when we started planting our wheat was May 13th. And usually that's like, we're winding down and we're getting ready to move into barley. And so we actually took prevented plant acres this, this year, which we had a bunch of acres that we weren't able to get planted in time. So those were left out of production this year. Right. Are you looking to supercharge your farm business skills? Register for a Farm Credit Canada event. FCC events are designed to sharpen your management practices and build personal and professional growth. They offer in-person and virtual options, and the best part, they are free to attend. FCC events brings experts from all areas of finance, personal development, transition, economics, and more to explore topics important to today's farm business owners and entrepreneurs. Gain practical advice, connect with peers, and get the knowledge that you need to take your operation to the next level. As a host of previous FCC events, I've personally witnessed farmers gain a deeper understanding of our industry and expand their network with folks who share the same passion and dedication to their farm businesses. 
I'm looking forward to heading out on the road again this winter to host the FCC Young Farmers Summit, and I hope to see you there. For more information and to check out the latest event lineup, head to fcc.ca forward slash events or the link in today's show notes. So, and on top of being a farmer and a mom to two littles, you're also an insurance agent. So tell me about that and what that was like on wearing that hat, knowing that there was a bunch of folks who who couldn't get in their fields. Yes. I really enjoy being a crop insurance agent because I get to connect with other farmers. It's a little bit different for me because I'm out here and I know kind of what the conditions are and what they're facing. So I can kind of relate to what's happening and make the call and say, you know, hey, I know that we're not going to be able to get in the fields. This is what, you know, we need to, you know, document so that you are covered and protected. And it's stressful because I just want them to be successful and I want to protect their operations. And it just weighs on me because I know how important it can be and how much impact it can have on their operation, especially in a bad year where there's, you know, preventive planning issues or if it's a drought or something like that. I just know how crucial it is for them and crop insurances. There's a lot of detail to it and getting all those details right. Sometimes I lay in bed at night and, you know, the things start popping in my head. Okay, well, did that get done? Did this get done? And yeah, it can be stressful. Does that pretty much (laughs) sum it up? Well, I think of this maybe in the in the positive light for your customers anyways, not positive for you because you're losing sleep over it at night, but <laughs> your customers have somebody who cares so much about them and their operation because you know what it's like. You know, you live this as well alongside with them. But like you said, it's, you know, people lose sleep over it. Their Their mental health goes down the drain because all they're doing is worrying and stressing about things that we essentially cannot control. And I think that as somebody who who is relatively newer to this industry, it's something that I guess I never really understood until I was a part of it. And I don't know if that stress ever necessarily goes away. I think maybe we can learn to handle it a little better. But I guess this brings up a question for me. What do you do for yourself to help control the stress of all of the things that we can't control? I exercise. (laughs) I have to. I notice a big change in myself if I'm not physically active. And, you know, during harvest, the physical demands and the, you know, the mental demands and stuff are, are high. And I don't really, I don't get to the gym during like our busiest times, just because I physically staying active through the day. But as we wind down and we get into winter and it gets dark at 5 p.m. and uh, the days are short and I'm not able to get outside as much as I like to, I just know that I have to go somewhere and move my body. So I... (laughs) I've been waking up and going to an early morning workout class and I'm not a morning person, but I try and do that in the winter because my day is just so much better and I feel better and 
it's all of those happy endorphins that we get from exercise that are really, they're important. So that's what I do. I try and stay active. Good. Another thing that I've seen you recently start doing is a, a dabbling a bit in the flower farming. Would you say that is a stress reliever or a stress causer for you? <laughs> no, it's definitely a stress reliever. I tried flowers a few years ago. I had like a little mini plot of cut flowers and I loved them. And it was, it was really nice. It's like right next to our farm shop. So I could just walk out there in my flowers and weed or water or just, you know, observe. And it was just kind of like my little oasis at our shop. And our growing hair is so short that all of my beautiful flowers, I think I lost like the first week in September and it was just like ugh, devastating almost. So I decided I was going to put up a high tunnel, which is just like a, a poly greenhouse basically. And we spent all year or all summer, I should say, last year assembling the high tunnel, which I had no idea how much work went into putting one of these structures up, like the amount of self-tapping screws that goes into these buildings is insane. And we started in May and I honestly thought, oh, but you know, this won't be bad. You know, we'll get it up. I'll have it done by July. No, it was October before we finished this building. And, you know, we're, we were fitting it into all of the nooks and crannies, but we finally got it done in October. And so this past year was the first year that I actually was able to grow anything in it. And my two boys, my two sons, they're all about it. They love being in there. They helped me. We planted everything by hand and we grew a bunch of cut flowers, sunflowers, and a few veggies on the side. But it was just... Like I said, it was just like my little oasis. Like I would just go out there and it was like my Zen area just to be. And I love watching things grow and all of the bees and pollinators and everything. And then my boys actually started to sell them at a little, like almost like a lemonade stand, but it was for flowers. And so they, they would set up on the weekends out front and they would sell. And it was, it was amazing the turnout from the community that supported them in their little venture and just seeing them interact with people and, you know, learn the social skills and manners and how to, you know, help people to their car if they couldn't carry things. And it was really just a neat experience for me watching them turn this little thing into something that they love too. And yeah, so I don't know uh, what next year will bring, but we've already planted tulips, we've planted some tulip bulbs this fall, and hopefully we'll have more flowers and we might grow the little farm stand into like an actual business for them. So. Right. That's awesome. We were chatting before we hit record about your boys and how involved they are on the farm with you and the rest of the family. What are some, besides, you know, being flower 
entrepreneurs. Uh, what are some of their other favorite jobs on the farm? So my oldest son, he loves the skid steer. He will get in there and that's what he likes to operate and run. Anything that he can do in the skid steer, he's all about it. My youngest son, it's hard to explain, but it's like he was born to be a farmer. Like he is all about farming and every aspect of farming. And he wakes up and asks when we're going to the farm and what are we doing today at the farm? Like he just, he loves it. He loves being in the combine. He loves planting, like he just, anything and everything he wants to be a part of. And it's just interesting to see their two different personalities. So my oldest will, obviously he's out here a lot and he participates in everything. He says that he likes it, but like, I don't know that he has like the true deep passion for it that my youngest does. And maybe that passion will fade off, but it's just like, that's my, the youngest is my farmer. And the older one is, you know, he could, I think he could take it or leave it. He's kind of getting to the age where he wants to go and be with his friends. And he kind of is like, oh, do we have to go out to the farm? So we're we're trying to navigate that territory now as he gets older. Right. And I just, I find it so interesting for kids who grow up on a farm, like whether they are passionate about it or it's just, you know, they loathe doing their chores or whatever it is. And, you know, kids are kids and you're raising humans and they're each their own individuals. And it's just, it's awesome to watch them grow up there. So this is a, maybe a deep question for you, but we've been talking for a while. So I think I've got you warmed up. Okay. (laughs) What fuels your passion for agriculture? Oh, this is a deep question. I guess it's the connection to a land, the food, just the whole, the whole cycle and how for a couple of years I, I raised broiler chickens. And I'm just going to use this as an example. And my friends would ask me, how can you butcher them? How can you do that? And I guess for me, I knew the life that those chickens were leading. I, I was connected to them. They're, you know, I, I was caring for them day in and day out, and I knew the, the life that they were leading, and I just had so much respect for them because I knew what they were providing my family with in the end. It's just that I think that a hundred years ago, everyone was connected to food in some sort of way. They, they had a garden or, you know, they weren't as removed from it as we are as a society now, everyone kind of had a small role in being connected to where their food came from. And I think just, it's just like a feeling like, I just love it. I love what ag represents and I love the people that I have met through ag and understanding all of the hard work and the sacrifices and the care that goes into providing food. Well, and you had mentioned the cycle of agriculture and that's, like you said, not being connected to that cycle can make you feel really removed from it. So when you're a part of that cycle, I think there is the momentum to keep the cycle going and keep, you know, sharing your why and your information, like your friends asking you about, well, how could you do that? Well, that's how we eat. 
Like that is how, if I'm not doing it, then somebody else is doing it in order for us all to eat. So having that connection and being connected to our stories and sharing our stories, I think love it or hate it, I think is a part of agriculture now and it has to be. So in saying that, you know, I've connected with you on social media and, you know, we've chosen the path of sharing our stories publicly on social media. So what influenced you to start wanting to share the happenings on the farm? Honestly, I think during the pandemic, I spent more time on social media. And before that point, I, you know, I wasn't really a big social media user. I would just kind of get on there to send my friends memes. And that that was the extent. And then through the pandemic, I found some other like women in ag that I started to follow. And I was inspired by them and what they were sharing and the information that they were providing. And I guess that I was just like, maybe I should start doing that. (laughs) In the first days of my public account, it was, I mean, I don't know if anyone really like goes back and looks at their first posts that they made and rereads them. And it's changed a lot since then. Let's just say that. And now I... I kept going. I I started and I was like, well, we'll just see where this goes and if I enjoy it. And, you know, if I have X amount of followers by the end of the year, then maybe that will be a sign to keep going. And I don't think I ever really met like the, the follower count. But what I did start to realize is that it was like a creative outlet for me. And then I started to connect with other people and form relationships. I wasn't just getting on social to this like mindlessly scroll and send memes. I was like actually reading things and having conversations with people and, you know, learning from them. And so it just became more of, I'm using this as a tool rather than just like, I don't know. Well, I think, you know, you weren't the only person during 2020 and beyond that was using social media more. And, you know, some of the best memes I think came out after 2020. So they're still coming, but uh, using it as a tool to connect with other folks in agriculture and just people in general, I think, you know, we, we can use it for good or we can use it other than good. But luckily I seem to have been able to create and find community amongst all of the things. And i agree with you that uh, it can be definitely used as a tool for for the connection piece. It brought us together, right? Right. Exactly. And now we now we just now I just get to enjoy all of the reels that you make and I have to say you are probably one of my favorite accounts to watch reels from because they're very relatable of <laughs> things that I also go through on <laughs> the farm here. <laughs> I appreciate that. Sometimes, you know, you post things and you think that it's really funny or relatable and then it just like flops or you get a whole bunch of people in the peanut gallery giving you feedback. And so thank you for the positive encouragement to keep going. Right. I always laugh and made the joke like, well, at least my mom thinks I'm funny. 
but my mom also follows me on social media and she does not think I'm funny. (laughs) (laughs) Hi, mom. (laughs) I think you're hilarious. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. I'll I'll send you the check later for that. Um, Okay. (laughs) What is next for you, Noelle, for you and the farm and all of the fun things you're doing down there? Well... Like I said, I think that I really want to develop some sort of permanent farm stand and turn the flowers into more of an income source and diversify a little bit that way. And as far as our main operation, we're using technology to focus on our inputs Because as you know, farmers really don't get to uh, dictate what we sell our outputs for. So we're really trying to pinpoint uh, our input costs. And the past two years, we've done variable rate fertilizer application and seeding. And it's kind of, there aren't very many dryland farmers that utilize that in our area, especially or the the state for that matter. It's it's more so for irrigated crops, but we are trying to use that to just really buckle down and make sure that we are being precise in our applications and putting the pencil to paper to see what is producing, what's not producing. And it's it's pretty fun to look in, at the map and all the data on that because I'm kind of a a nerd at heart when it comes to data. So that's the direction that the, the grain operation is going. I think like many women in agriculture, I have a lot of irons in the fire and what's important today might not be important tomorrow. And it's just trying to navigate the priorities and it's always changing. The forever changing list of priorities. <laughs> Yes. Noelle, my last question for you is what is the most rewarding part about being a rural woman for you? I would say is just, I feel incredibly privileged to live in a beautiful area with nature and wide open spaces. And I get to take my kids along for the ride with us as we work as a family. And I just feel really privileged to be able to lead this life and experience everything as a family on the farm together. Amazing. You're all part of the cycle over there. (laughs) (laughs) I really appreciate you taking the time to chat with me today. I have loved getting to know you more and I know the audience has as well. For the folks who are listening, who would like to connect with you after the show, where can they find you online? I am mainly present on Instagram at wheat at 5,000 feet is my handle. Perfect. And I will link that in the show notes so people can find you and laugh along with me at all of your amazing reels. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Thank you again so much for coming on the show today. I truly appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for listening to the Rural Woman Podcast. The Rural Woman Podcast is more than just a podcast. We are a community. 
A huge thank you to the Rural Woman podcast team, audio editor Max Hofer, and admin support from Kim and Co. Online. A special thanks to our Patreon executive producers, Sarah Reedner from Happiness by the Acre and Carrie Munven from Laystone Farms. To learn how you can become a Patreon executive producer or other ways to financially support the show, head on over to wildrosefarmer.com to learn more. Be sure to hit the follow or subscribe button wherever you listen to the podcast to get the latest episodes directly on your playlist. And if you are loving the show, please be sure to leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or any other platform that accepts ratings and reviews. You can connect with us on social media at The Rural Woman Podcast and with me at Wild Rose Farmer. One of the best ways you can support the show is by sharing it. Send this episode to a friend or share on your social media. Let's strengthen and amplify the voices of women in agriculture together. Until next time, my friend, keep sharing your story. Did you know that you can get this same great episode of the Rural Woman podcast ad-free? I get it. Listening to ads during a podcast isn't always my favorite either. But in order to keep the lights and coffee pot on here at the Rural Woman podcast studios, they are necessary. I am so grateful to each and every one of my sponsors, but if you yourself would like to skip the ads while supporting the show, consider joining me over on Patreon. Patrons of the Rural Woman podcast get ad-free episodes starting at tier five on their podcast player of choice each week, plus some other great benefits. Find out more by heading to the link in today's show notes to learn how you can become a patron through Patreon.